Welcome to the Food for Your Soul podcast, where we apply the Word of God to the hearts of men and women to stoke the fires of your delight in Christ. Here's your host, Dr. D. Richard Ferguson. If you worked out every day for a year and didn't see any results, you'd probably give up on that workout. If you followed a difficult, restrictive diet and gained 50 pounds, that diet would go by the wayside. And when we pray and there are no clear results, it's hard to keep going. So what makes prayer different from those other two examples? James chapter 5. We'll read starting from verse 12. Above all, my brothers, do not swear, not by heaven or by earth or by anything else. Let your yes be yes and your no, no, or you will be condemned. Is any one of you in trouble? He should pray. Is anyone happy? Let him sing songs of praise. Is any one of you sick? He should call the elders of the church to pray over him and anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise him up. If he has sinned, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. Elijah was a man just like us. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. My brothers, if one of you should wander from the truth, and someone should bring him back, remember this, whoever turns a sinner from the error of his way will save him from death and cover over a multitude of sins. Charles Vaughn once said, If I wish to humble anyone, I should question him about his prayers. I know nothing to compare with this topic for its sorrowful self-confessions. Isn't that true? I mean, when it comes to prayer, everyone feels guilty about their prayer life. It's just kind of where we're at. And my question is, why do you suppose that is? I mean, why is it? Why is it that the, the one area where we get shot down by the enemy more often than anything else is in this area of prayer? I heard one pastor say that prayer for the Christian is as natural as breathing. But if that's the case, you've got to wonder, why do so many of us struggle at it? Why does almost every Christian walk around feeling guilty about his prayer life? And why are there times when I go and I I try to spend an hour in prayer and at the end I look back and I realize that I've spent 55 minutes with my mind wandering and five minutes actually praying? And if it's so natural, why does the New Testament have to command it over and over and over and over and over? I mean, so many times we see it it, it commanded. Romans 12, but we see it here in James 5. We see it in Romans 12, verse 12, be faithful in prayer. Ephesians 6, 18, pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying. Philippians 4, 6, in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. 1 Timothy 2, 8, I want men everywhere to lift up holy hands in prayer. 1 Thessalonians 5, 17, pray without ceasing. This is God's will for you. Matthew 26, 41, watch and pray so that you'll not fall into temptation. Colossians 4, 2, devote yourselves to prayer. 
And that word devote there, it's, it, it's a word that has to do with strength. Strengthen yourself to, with this hardened, unmovable, unchangeable resolve to pray. Why so many commands to pray? And not only are there a lot of commands, not only are we reminded constantly, but a lot of times we're taught to pray and to not give up in prayer. Don't give it like in Luke 18.1. Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. And then he goes on and tells the parable about the persistent widow. In Luke 11, Jesus told a parable about a about prayer being like a guy who comes to his neighbor's house and says, I need some bread. And the guy's in bed. It's like, go away. I'm in bed already. And the guy's, bam, 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 bam. No, come on. No, I'm in bed. Bam, bam, bam. Finally. Okay, okay, okay. And, and Jesus says, that's what prayer is like. Keep at it. I mean, that's what the point of those parables is. When, you, when you're praying, don't quit. Keep going. Keep at it. So, so why do we, re, we need to be reminded so many times to pray? And why do we have to be told not to give up? Well, here's why. It's because the normal thing will be that when it comes to Christian prayer, what will happen is we'll get all fired up about prayer and we'll do it for a while and then it's going to go by the wayside. It's going to peter out. That's the norm. That's what God expects is going to happen. That's why there's so many commands and reminders. The indication, I mean, if you didn't know anything about prayer, and the only thing you had to go by is what the Bible says, you'd get the feeling it's hard, right? I mean, you read the Bible and it says, okay, we're talking about something here where we're naturally going to be inclined to neglect it, and we're naturally going to be inclined to peter out after a while and not keep up with it. That's why we need all these commands. Prayer is not like breathing. Passionate, persistent, powerful prayer will not come naturally. What will come naturally will be inconsistent, giving up, and prayerlessness. That's why we need so much help from the Holy Spirit in this matter. You ever notice how many times the, the Bible talks about the Spirit coming in and helping us with this? Romans 8, the Spirit intercedes for us when we don't know what to pray for. In Philippians 3, the Holy Spirit enables us to worship. In Ephesians 2, the Holy Spirit gives us access to the Father. Twice, Ephesians 6.18 and Jude 1.20, we're commanded to pray in the Spirit. We need the Holy Spirit's help. We need supernatural help. That tells me two things. First, it tells me that if I need that much supernatural help, again, it must be something very difficult, humanly speaking. But secondly, it also tells me how important this is to God. I mean, if the Holy Spirit is involved to that level... God must really, really want us to pray, which is exactly what Ephesians 5.18 says. This is God's will for you. You know, if you ever cry out, a lot of times people, they're, they're stuck, they don't know God's will. They say, God, show me your will, guide me, show me your will. And God could very well answer and say, you're doing it. <laughs> That's my will, is for you to pray. Let me just remind you where we are in the book of James and the structure here. You might be glad to hear that there are no more rebukes in the book of James, <laughs> which is nice, right? Because... The rest of the book's been loaded with them. All of these rebuke, rebuke, rebuke. And then now, after this first half of chapter 5, starting in verse 12, all the way to the end of the book, no more rebukes. No more rebukes. He's not going to point out any new problems. We know what the problems are. From here on out, he's just concerned about solutions. Here's my take on the structure of the book of James. The first major theme is perseverance and suffering. People that James is writing to hadn't done a very good job at that first one, right? They hadn't persevered. They, they responded sinfully to their suffering, and that caused all the other problems. Uh, they responded with quarreling and fighting and running to the world for satisfaction instead of God and all of that, selfishness. That's the wrong way. So we've seen the wrong way. What's the right way? 
What's the right way to respond to suffering? Well, look at verse 13. Is anyone of you suffering hardship? He should pray. That's the right way to handle suffering. Go to God with it. When a church has been messed up by wrong, sinful responses to suffering, the solution is prayer. It's prayer. That's the way to solve fighting. You could try that with your kids. They're fighting each other. Have them pray for each other. When Paul gave instructions in 1 Timothy 2, he said, 1 Timothy 2, 8, I want men everywhere to lift up holy hands in prayer without anger and disputing. Because I, I think you can't truly pray for someone and be in some sort of angry dispute with them at the same time. Right? So the solution to that first problem, how to handle suffering, prayer. And what I'm doing here is I'm showing you how this closing section of James touches on the major themes in James. So how about the second one? How about love? When a church has been lacking love, they're showing favoritism, they're neglecting each other's needs, they're getting in fights, they're grumbling, they're gossiping, all these failures to love, what's the solution? Well, the solution is right here in the closing of the book. Be honest and genuine with each other. That's verse 13, right? Pray for one another and restore each other from sin. That's the right way to express love. How about the next one? How about the tongue? What do you do when the church is destroying itself with sinful uses of the tongue, like grumbling and gossip and boasting and quarreling and judgmentalism and putting each other down and all, all the rest? Same solution. Verse 13, honesty. Then verses 14 to 18, pray for one another. This is how you're supposed to use your mouth. Pray for each other. And then use your words to restore people who have wandered from the faith. Restore them. Don't grumble about them. Don't gossip about them. Just restore them. And then what about the fourth major theme? Avoiding worldliness. What do you do in a church that has fallen in love with the world and they are, they're looking to earthly things instead of to God for their satisfaction and for their joy? How do you fix a church like that? It's right here in this closing section. Verse 13, reverence for God. True prayer, looking to God to supply your joy and your happiness instead of earthly stuff. And then having a church community that rescues people who are venturing into worldliness. We found last week that the starting point for all that has to be reverence for God, right? That's what that's the force of that above all, right? This has to come first. Reverence for God's name must come first. Because until that happens, none of the rest of it will work. So it's worth underlining those words above all in your, in your Bible because, because that's not really intuitive, right? You wouldn't necessarily know that's the first step to solving these problems. When someone's hurting me, treating me unfairly, unjustly, whatever, everything in me wants to say, above all, make it stop, right? That's above all. That's priority one. Make it stop. That's my natural first priority. My, it's not my natural number one knee-jerk reaction when I'm being treated unfairly to say, wow, I'm being treated unfairly? I need to gain greater reverence for God. That, that doesn't just pop into my mind normally, naturally. But that is the most important solution. That's what we need. What we need isn't relief. What we need is greater fear of God. Psalm 161. Rulers persecute me without a cause. There's unjust treatment. Solution, my heart trembles at your word. We need to see the connection between those. 
The solution to being treated unfairly is not to get them to stop. The the solution to being treated bad is to tremble before the word of Almighty God. Why? Well, because, look at verse 165, great peace have those who love your law. That's what I need, right? If I'm being treated bad, I need peace. I I mean, even more than relief, I need peace. Because what good is relief going to do me if I still don't have peace? What you need most is peace, and that comes from reverence for God. And you know that you have reverence for God when you tremble before His Word. When you have the proper orientation towards the Word of God, that what will happen is that will lead you right into God's presence, and that's where you're going to find the joy and the strength to get you through the suffering. Psalm 43 shows us that in verse 1. It says, Rescue me from deceitful and wicked men. Send forth your light and your truth. Let them guide me. Let them bring me to the place where you dwell. Then I will go to the altar of God, to God, the joy of my rejoicing. See? Scripture that leads us into his presence, and that's where we get what we need. So the starting place for everything, reverence for God. And the result of that reverence has to be what? Personal integrity, honesty, and faithfulness, right? I'm not going to be dishonest with you. I'm not going to lie to you. I'm not going to be unfaithful and fail to follow through on my word. I'm not going to do all that. Why? Because as one who bears the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I am under oath before him 24-7. I fear him way too much to play fast and loose with his name by being dishonest. I began today with examples of a workout that isn't working. If that happens, you might drop that workout. But if you're committed to getting in shape, you won't give up on working out altogether. If you want to build muscles, improve cardio health, and all the rest, you're going to have to do some kind of exercise. If your workout routine isn't working, you'll adjust until you find a routine that works because you know that exercise is the only way to build muscles. We need to have that same attitude toward prayer. If your current routine isn't working in helping you draw near to God and enjoy His presence, don't just quit. Quitting's not an option if you want to draw near to God. You just need to make adjustments until you get a routine that works better. So give it some thought. What practical changes could you make in your prayer routine to make it better? Now keep it realistic. Don't commit to something so drastically different from what you're doing now that it won't last more than a few days. Just ask yourself, what's one change I could make, one step in the direction of a better prayer life? Lord God, we've sung of your great majesty, your power, your greatness, your supremacy, that hand that healed nations stretched out on a tree. We think of the great things that you've done throughout history. We think of your resurrection. We think of your second coming. All of these things that we read about, we pray about, we we, we sing about, uh, but we don't see. This God who did these mighty things thousands of years ago is available to us every moment through prayer. All we have to do is just begin speaking. And you're there. Oh, Lord, I plead with you. This series that we're, we're going through, and this, this section we're starting on prayer, let it 
transform us as a praying people. I pray that what you've taught me over the past couple weeks, the impact it's had on my life, the joy that I've felt in, in approaching you in private prayer, oh Lord, please, let these dear folks feel some of that. Let them experience what I've been able to experience. Thank you for listening. If you found today's episode edifying, why not share it with a friend? This season of the Food for Your Soul podcast features excerpts from our sermon series on the book of James. 50 expository sermons covering every verse. You can find those and hundreds of other sermons for free download on drichardferguson.com. And if you like listening on your phone, get our free mobile app. Install the Church One app from the Play Store and select Food for Your Soul. Until next time, rejoice in the Lord always and set your mind on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God.